Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I want to welcome to the studio Don Brown. He is running for uh, Congress. And uh, welcome. How are you? Pete, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. Um, I, I, I should have wrote this down. I should have pulled it up before uh, we got on there. What's your website? You should uh, you should always pitch your website in these situations. Brown4NC.com. Matter of fact, I brought you a website there. Right Thank there. you. you. Can flip oh, it over. We've got a few bullet points. They have General Flynn's endorsement on that. Little, uh, for the record, ladies and gentlemen, I handed Pete one of our uh, campaign cards. I don't know what he'll do with it later, but maybe it'll help some. I give it away. I, give, I could give it away as a prize. Yeah, you might be able to find somebody. There you go. Who knows? Uh, so uh, you mentioned this uh, endorsement. This is General Mike Flynn, right. uh, the former security advisor, obviously to President Trump. Right. Uh, we were talking before uh, the the show started here, and uh, he has not made any endorsement in this uh, primary. Right. Correct. That's so, correct. Okay. So. Just want to get that on the record, too. Right. There's no, been no endorsement uh, by Donald Trump uh, that we are aware of, and he's not Correct. planning any speeches, I think, at any Republican conventions anytime soon. That so. appears to be correct. <laughs> right. So uh, uh, you've got uh, early voting is now started, right, for uh, for this race, and so um, people can go out and vote early. Right. Um, I have no problem with people voting early. Right. Do you have any problems with people it, voting early? If, I don't have If any, they're voting for huh? you. No, well, as long as they're voting for me, <laughs> vote three sixty-five days a year. And I'm just kidding. Here's the deal. Oh, gosh, don't say that. No, no, no. Yeah, that'll no, get you that, charged. No, yeah. No, <laughs> let, let, let me clarify. I, I was joking there. I don't have a problem with early voting. I have a problem with uncontrolled early voting. In other words, I think early voting should be a narrower window, not a broad window. I think the broader the window, and these these uh, Democrat blue states would want to have early voting for two months ahead of time. It leads to a, an increased danger of voter fraud. Mm-hmm. So maybe a week, um, you know, we, we have from the 15th all the way right up almost to election day, maybe a week or inside of that even. Um, so conceptually, it's fine. I've, I have early voted myself on a number of occasions, but I, I think we've got to shrink the window. I, I am in favor of day of election voting. I think uh, that that helps to increase uh, the, you know, voter integrity Although I wish that North Carolina would do away with same-day voter registration because theoretically someone who's not a citizen could come in and register that day and vote. Uh, we could really get off on some topics here. Yes, I like early voting. No, I don't like it too long. I guess right. that's the best answer. No, yeah, and that's fair. But you, you see the pushback. and uh, I mean, just saying you got to have the absentee ballots arrive by close of business on Election Day. Right. And the left went nuts. Let them go nuts. Yeah. Let them go nuts. You can have rules for a reason. Mm-hmm. We have responsibility for a reason. You know, every time, you know, we saw what happened in 2020, and I, I was involved in a lot of the litigation behind the scenes on in that in that 2020 election. I did not know that. Issue. Yes, I was. And uh, but but you know, you what you see, uh, St- Florida in 2000 um, was a disaster. Yeah. Palm Beach County, Broward County, they got their act together, and all um, early all early voting and absentee ballots were counted by election day. But when you have a situation where that doesn't happen. What you see is a tendency for the vote fairy to show up. If you go back and you look at what happened in 2020, I mean, President Trump was winning by a landslide. 
you know, people blame these machines. The machines are not perfect. And, uh, yeah, there, there are problems with machines, and I think the machines were generally calibrated uh, to favor Biden. And by the way, it's not just Dominion. There's ESNS and Heart Inner Civic. There are three major uh, voting machines that are used throughout the United States. Uh, I think they thought that Biden would win by 10 o'clock, but Trump was winning the landslides, then boom, timeout. Six states shut down, okay? And then here comes the vote fairy. I, I mentioned that night. The vote fairy shows up, and look at what? Look at the disaster in Arizona. So um, by not counting early votes and absentees and having those locked down by the day of election, you invite the vote fairy. And every time the vote fairy shows up, whether it's, I mean, I, I have my questions about what happened with McCrory and Cooper in Durham County. The first time Cooper challenged McCrory, McCrory was winning. Next thing you know, there's Durham County. The vote fairy shows up and, and Cooper wins. Uh, I don't have any proof. Isn't that the, well, you don't have any proof. I don't have any proof, except okay. here's the thing. No, on that on that case, I don't right. have any proof. But we do know in Georgia, we know in Michigan, other places, they were just waving. Look, look what have you seen? Two thousand mules. I don't know if you have. I, I, well, so yeah. Look, so have you heard of what's called the the red mirage? The red mirage. You know what that refers to? Uh, explain that to me. The red mirage occurs by nature of the uh, the the early vote window and how it is used by. Um, Democrats more than Republicans. And so what happens is, is as the polls close and a lot of states that you just mentioned, they don't start even counting right. the early votes, absentee ballots until the polls close. So what happens is the red mirage, you see the red numbers coming in because those voters voted on Election Day. Mm -hmm. So those are getting tallied in real time. Then you're running uh, you're running the ballots that were right. already uh, delivered. Right. And. There is the, quote, blue surge sure, that occurs. Sure, right. So it's not actually the votes. It's not the votes pouring in. It's that they were already there. Maybe. Maybe. That's and well known. I mean, that's why it's a thing. It's called the red mirage. No, I, I, get, yeah, yeah. I get that much. But when you look at Arizona, how long did they, how long did it take them to figure out the gubernatorial race? Yeah. When, when you look have at, they figured it out yet? Uh, th no. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I have a friend of mine, Kurt Olson, who's Carrie Lake's attorney. We talk about this all the time. I mean, they just did a docu documentary on that. You should check it out. Um, but but the longer there's a stretch for counting on the backside, mm -hmm. um, it's it who usually wins that the Democrats every time. Um, so and, and it you, we have to have confidence and trust in the electoral system. Mm -hmm. And when you have six states shut down like we saw in 2020, that's that is unprecedented, mm -hmm. historically unprecedented. And here comes the vote theory. And it and what I know for a fact uh, in Michigan, for example, I was interviewing some of our Republican poll workers. And in fact, took some affidavits, and we were seeing um, absentee ballots for military members born in 1900, and this is in, in Detroit, in Wayne County, uh, from the I think it was the TGY Center up there, just waving these ballots through without any real attempt to verify. Georgia, you know, changed the rules in the middle of the game, you know, and so the the lack, the the, the foolish um, failure to adequately verify. Absentee ballots under the cloud of COVID is inexcusable, and it's rocked confidence in the system. So I didn't mean to go off too much on that. It started with a question. About the, no, it's my started. fault. I asked the question. Always yeah, your fault, It's Calvary. always my fault. Always your fault, brother. But anyway. All right. So um, so let me back up uh, a little bit because, uh, as you can tell, uh, Don has a legal background here. So tell us a little bit about your your bio. Well, you know, my, my granddaddy Brown, he said, I say, boy, You'll never blow your own horn. Let somebody else blow it for you. So I'm never comfortable talking about myself. But you realize you're running for office. I understand okay. that, but I'm still not okay. comfortable. Okay, so listen. In fact, I got to look in the mirror every day and say, man, I've lost my mind. But anyway, 
uh, I'm an ex-Navy JAG officer, as you know, and uh, spent a total of 16 years in the Navy, five active. Most of the rest of the time was reserve and uh, have been involved in a number of you know, high-profile cases since getting out. Um, I was involved, for example, in the pardon of Lieutenant Clint Lawrence. You've heard about that probably. He was an 82nd Airborne paratrooper who was charged with, quote-unquote, murder when his men opened fire on some Taliban motorcycle riders. Uh, Obama needed a head, a scout to deliver to Karzai. There had been a there had been a, a staff sergeant named Bob Bales who was accused of shooting up a couple of Afghan villages about two months before that. And the then Sec- Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta sent his plane in the middle of the night to bring Bales back, which set off a firestorm in Afghanistan. So, so Obama's looking to deliver a scout. Anyway, President Trump pardoned uh, Lieutenant Lawrence. That case got a bit of a national attention. I've been involved in investigation, the shoot down, and wrote a book of a helicopter called Extortion 17. It was a Chinook shot down in 2011, 90 days after U.S. Navy SEALs took out bin Laden. We lost uh, 30 Americans, 17 Navy SEALs, the largest loss of life in the Afghan war. Wrote a book on that, did an internal investigation. A movie has now been made on that called Fallen Angel. I can send you the, the trailer if you'd like to see it. Distributed by Salem Media. Um, it w- would have gone to the theaters, except the time that it came out was at the end of the COVID scare. And we didn't know who was going to be in theaters. But mm-hmm. uh, So I've been involved in that. I uh, was able to get the House Armed Services Committee when Mac-, Mac Thornberry was chair to start an internal investigation through former Congressman Walter Jones, who was from eastern North Carolina and, and represented the, the district where our Marine base is in uh, Jacksonville, Camp Lejeune. So I've been involved in that, have been involved in um, – what I call uh, vaccination tyranny litigation. I, you know, I represent a number of Christians for the EEOC who didn't want to take an experimental jab. I have uh, represented nearly 100 plaintiffs uh, from the Savannah River case uh, down in the Savannah River nuclear plant mm-hmm. uh, in Aiken, South Carolina. Uh, many of them uh, nuclear engineers who didn't want to take. Biden's the DOE came in and said, "Hey, Savannah River plant, if you don't force your employees to take this experimental vaccine, uh, we're going to cut our contracts." So. They were squeezed economically. I took their case all the way to the Fourth Circuit before Biden backed down. So I've been involved in some litigation, written a few books, as you may know, 15 books, all in the U.S. military, including three national bestsellers. So that's me. And um, But I'm really just a country boy, man. I'd rather be out shooting and hunting and uh, eating barbecue. Jensen asked me what's better. No, nah, yeah, it was Jensen, Eastern and Western North kind of barbecue. I had to say Eastern because I'm an Eastern North kind of country boy. So I'm a country boy at heart, despite all the other... Stuff I just told you. I got you. The website is brown4nc.com. Don Brown's my guest. Don Brown, he is running for Congress. This is the the 8th Congressional District. Right. um, Which I used to know what all the districts were, (laughs) but after several years of litigation, I no longer, I I know we have 14. I, I don't. So, what are the what are the uh, what are the boundaries uh, of uh, of the district? First of all, good luck trying to figure it out. We just switched. <laughs> I have people saying, "Oh, oh, you're in. You've got uh, Rowan County, Salisbury." Well, Dan Bishop had it, but now Sal- we love Rowan County. But Rowan County is no longer in the district. So, what we have is we start with uh, Union County, which is the largest county, one of the most Republican counties in the state. Love Union County, and then we have what I call the Crescent Moon Eastern portion of Mecklenburg County, which includes Matthews, Mint Hill. Uh, the Providence Country Club area, Waverly, up in there, and and that and that plus part of about two thirds of Cabarrus County. Cabarrus about two thirds is the eighth, one third is the sixth in Cabarrus County. So those are the three largest population centers. And we move over to Stanley County, mm-hmm. and from there Montgomery County, and then you come down seventy four, and you got of course Union again. And you've got uh, you've got uh, you know you got Anson, you got Richmond, you got Scotland, and you've got Robinson. 
And so uh, I've been to, down to Robinson County twice the last few days. It's got about a two-hour drive, an hour and a half, depending on traffic and everything. But it's a pretty pretty big district yeah. uh, ge- geographic-wise. And uh, most of the population is up here, but uh, but they're good, salt-of-the-earth people in every one of those counties. And uh, we're very, very concerned about uh, keeping the regulatory uh, state off their backs. We're concerned about the Lumbee, getting a, the Lumbee Fairness Act passed. We're concerned about farmers who are who are um, being smashed largely by these ultra, ultra monolithic single farm corporations like you know Tyson and Monsanto and some of those. Mm-hmm. We want to see small family farms succeed and small family businesses succeed. And a lot of that, uh, that's a lot of the heart of the district. So, uh, but it's a good sized district, and um, I think I got all the counties in there. And forgive me if I did not. But, no, I uh, think you're right. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we were at the. Uh, the debate, one of the questions that came up at the very end, uh, that there was some disagreement uh, uh, among the uh, candidates, but also uh, with me and Brett Winterbull. Mm-hmm. Um, Brett was the one that first asked the question, and then I followed up, but it was about <clears throat> convention of states mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. who would support mm-hmm. the calling of a convention of mm-hmm. states, an Article 5 convention, mm-hmm. in order to uh, get Congress to uh, pick up certain items, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if I recall, you did you were not in support of that. Th- that is the problem with the one minute gong show type. Which yeah. I, I I love what BT did, and I thank you. There wasn't enough time for an adequate explanation, right? Which Here, is why I did the follow up to give people, yeah, yeah. hopefully, some more time. So, so maybe we could do that now. So, yeah. first off, it is a great, great question. I heard my buddy Bradford uh, last night on a, a Jensen show say, saying, "I'm the only one that supports." Uh, either Article 5 or Convention of States. Mm-hmm. Listen, Convention of States is a vehicle mm-hmm. under the Constitution to allow an amendment to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Art- Constitution has seven articles, 27 amendments. Articles 1, 2, 3 establish the federal government. Article 4 is full faith and credit clause and, and a bunch of other good stuff we might get to, including the, va- the invasion clause. Uh, Article 5 is the procedure under which the Constitution is amended. All 27 amendments have come through the Congress first. So you have two ways of amending the Constitution. Through the Congress, you need two-thirds of the vote to get the, the, the amendment out and three-fourths of the of, of the states to approve it, or you can amend the Constitution through a con- convention of states. You need two-thirds of the states, or 34, uh, to uh, submit the amendment, and then three-fourths, or 38, to approve the amendment. So here's the question. Here's why you can't just say I'm in favor of a convention of states. It's kind of like, you remember the old Wendy's commercial, like, where is the beef? Mm-hmm. The question is, what is the amendment that we're seeking to add? So, for example... If there were a convention of states uh, uh, convention to propose a line item veto amendment to, so that a president could cut fat mm-hmm. and cut largesse from the government, I'm in favor of. Matter of fact, Congress during the Reagan administration passed a line item veto law. The U.S. Supreme Court overturned it because the Supreme Court determined since the Constitution sets out the right of presidential veto, you'd have to amend the Constitution. So they were mm-hmm. saying the statute can't do it. Now, if the Convention of States were called, for example, for the purpose of repealing the Second Amendment or modifying the Second Amendment or putting restrictions on it or uh, like they're trying to do in Ohio to give a constitutional right to an abortion right up to a, to the birth, then I'm opposed to it. Mm-hmm. So the Convention of States is a vehicle mm-hmm. for amending the Constitution. I would be in favor of line on veto. I'd be in favor of repealing the 16th Amendment. 16th Amendment is where the income tax was first born, you know. So repeal the 16th Amendment and go with something fairer. 
So that's why I, I couldn't give you a flat up straight answer one way or the other because I don't I don't know what type of amendment you're talking about. I did argue that they're ignoring the Constitution anyway, which is true. Um, you know, look look for example, I mentioned a moment ago Article Four, Section Four it says the United States shall give the states not only a Republican form of government but shall protect the states against invasion. Mm-hmm. So that means every branch of the government, the president. The Congress and the Supreme Court have a constitutional responsibility to protect against invasion. When you're bringing in so much fentanyl that we lost 107,000 Americans in one year. Mm -hmm. Now, I want you to think about that. Uh, 58,220 Americans were killed in the 10 years of the Vietnam War. Okay? Uh, And I've been to, I used to, my last duty station at the Pentagon, I would jog across the Memorial Bridge past the Lincoln Memorial to the Washington Monument. That, That Vietnam Memorial is a stirring memorial. 58,220 Americans from 65 to 75. Mm-hmm. Compared to that, in fentanyl, one year, 107. So we lose nearly as many Americans, nearly twice as many Americans, in one year from fentanyl than 10 years from Vietnam. We dropped an atomic bomb on Nagasaki, 60,000 Japanese killed. You're, this is the equivalent of a nuclear attack with this fentanyl. We have an invasion, an invasion. So when you have you know, Joe Biden could shut the border now. He has the constitutional authority. You don't have to have passing some sort of bill like the Senate messed around with these, you know, I don't call it the, the Democrat open border policy. I call it the Democrat rhino open border policy. Democrat rhino, because you had a bunch of rhinos in the doggone Senate go, collaborating with a Democrat saying, hey, uh, you will close the border if you spend 90 some billion on Ukraine. And by the way, if there's an emergency, you can still that fight. They're not serious about closing the border. We're being invaded. The Americans are getting killed. And the Constitution allows the government to stop this. So when I'm going to pick on the Chief Justice and Amy Comey Barrett, when they sided with the Biden administration against the state of Texas, saying it's okay to go in and clip, clip the wires. wires what they're really saying, well, we'll hear it later. What they're really saying is you can bring this fentanyl in and kill Americans. See, John Roberts is the Chief Justice of the third branch of government. The Supreme Court is a branch of government, mm-hmm. and it's not a matter of calling balls and strikes. So back to your question on convention of states, it depends on. What the objective is. I am in favor of Article 5, Mr. Bradford. You're a good man, John Bradford. Well, I, you know, but you're wrong when you say you're the only one in favor of Article 5, okay? Article 5 is part of the Constitution. I love Article 5, but I'm going to oppose uh, liberal uh, amendments that will destroy freedom. I will support conservative amendments that will preserve freedom. I got an email from um, William who says uh, Don Brown is awesome. And would like to have you return to the show at least once a year. So there you go. Thank you, William. Just once a year, though, William? <laughs> I want to be peace guest every week. Come on, William. But thank you very much for those comments. I uh, appreciate you, man. So um, what is one guy in Congress, what kind of impact can you have? You're one out of 435. Um, yeah. Seeing a lot of these guys that are retiring because the, the sense is that they, they can't. Uh, get in, they can't get stuff done. Um, it seems like people just are, uh, you know, doing stuff for YouTube clicks. Right. So, yeah, right. why would you? Yeah, why would you want to do? Why do you want to go there? <laughs> why do you want to do anything? You know, it's, it's interesting, um, Pete. Uh, uh, people have very, been very kind since I made a late, relatively late decision to decide to decide to run. But people say, "Congratulations!" Or, "Are you excited?" I'm going, "Okay, those are nice comments." But to be honest with you. I don't want to run for Congress. I don't feel like I've got a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I've quoted Reagan. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Uh, 3,000 years ago, King Solomon said that without a vision, the people perish. We've lost a vision of who we are as a nation. You and I have talked about Article 5 a moment ago, and I love having 
I love having conversations about the Constitution. I, I'm a, I love the Constitution. I'm a student of the Constitution. But we don't know who we are. We think we're a democracy. We are a constitutional republic, Article 4, Section 4, which is hallmarked by checks and balances. Mm-hmm. You know, presidential veto, Congress can override the veto, Congress engages in taxes, you know, um, Supreme Court has its role. And then there is the great Electoral College, which is one of the greatest checks and balances in the Constitution because even even the founders understood back in 1787 that there's tremendous corruption in big blue cities. I guess they didn't call them blue cities, but corruption manifests itself where there are large population centers. So the founders didn't want New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles even though Los Angeles wasn't even around at the time, places like that to control who is the president. So, so why go? Because we're about to lose our nation. Okay, and and you're right. One person is one is one out of four hundred thirty-five. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you hope Republicans have control, um, but I think that there is power in prayer, in courage, in truth, and in boldness. And I'm not going to Congress to be a policy wonk. Uh, listen. Um, I've mentioned this before. I like my opponents, and I'm not saying any of them are that. I, I respect them, um, but we're we are at war. This is a philosophical war. The issues that we discussed in this campaign on the campaign trail, whether it's the, the porous border problem in Mexico, everybody mm-hmm. says, go, you know, reinst- reinstitute the remain in Mexico pro- yeah. policy. Every, everybody's saying the same thing. Everybody's trying to say, I like Trump the most. No, I like Trump the most. Everybody. Once you know, so how do you separate? We have to first understand that these problems are a symptom of a larger problem. There's a great philosophical dividing line in this nation, and on one side you have you have American nationalism undergirded by the great United States Constitution, and on the other side you have you have you have one world order globalism undergirded by a philosophy known as secular humanism. Mm-hmm. And there's where the battle is. And so everything that we see is a result of what camp are you in? I mentioned a moment ago when you have even Republican senators joining with Democrats saying, hey, we'll close the border if you give 90-some billion to Ukraine. And by the way, you can still let five. These people are not. These people are globalists. They, they, see, you cannot have. And, and when you run a national debt up of $34 trillion and still climbing, the ultimate object of that will be to destroy the United States dollar. And what are they going to replace it with? Something called a central bank digital currency. And when they do that, you think if they had control back during COVID when they were forcing people to wear useless masks and, and lying, you take the, take the vaccination, you won't get the COVID. And then when you get the COVID, oh, I'm glad I had the vaccination. They lie to you know what's off. You think they had control then. That was a test run for what happens when they destroy the dollar and, reinstit- and, and replace it with a central bank digital currency. It is American nationalism undergirded by the United States Constitution versus one world order global- globalism undergirded by a philosophy known as secular humanism. That is what is causing these problems that my distinguished colleagues are all saying the same thing about. But we've got to go to the core of it. That's where the battle is going to be. There is going to be a war waged on the House of Representatives for the future of this nation. We are, e- we are either going to survive or we are going to fail, and it's coming fast. So when the President Reagan says we're never more than one generation away from extinction, that is freedom, we're right at the cliff. It's not like, hey, we're beginning the generation. But, you know, you look at these, these prosecutions, for example, against President Trump. None of them have any, any real meat to them except for the fact that they are politically timed to try to influence the election. But it's not just that. 
you the Democrats have been abusing the court system for years. You go back to Tom DeLay. They went after him. Mm-hmm. He he led the impeachment against Clinton. They couldn't defeat him. He was winning seventy percent of his constituents down in Houston being reelected. They get him convicted. He has the conviction overturned eleven million dollars later. Uh, the, the former governor of Virginia, Bob McDonnell, and his wife Margaret. There was a law in Virginia that said, "Hey, the, a governor can accept a gift as long as it's properly reported." That's what McDonnell did. The same Jack Smith, who is now going after President Trump, went after McDonnell on an extortion theory. Okay, an extortion theory. Twenty-seven million dollars later, the governor had to spend. The Supreme Court reversed that nine to zero. These rogue prosecutors are attacking our judicial system. If we cannot believe in the time-honored concept of equal justice under law, we've lost it. So why run? Because we're in the precipice of losing our freedom. I'm going to lead a fight aggressively in defense of freedom. You know, there's a there's a movie. I like to watch movies. And one of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump because Forrest Gump was always in places. Yeah. And I'm here in Pete Callender's studio, and I'm, I feel like Forrest Gump. What am I doing here? You know, life's <laughs> like a box of chocolates. There's a movie uh, by, by, with Mel Gibson about uh, a Scottish patriot named William, William Wallace. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the very last line of that movie, do you remember, Pete? You asked me about the red thing, which I'm going to put you on the spot. The last line of the movie, they were drawing him and quartering him, yeah. and he, he screams, freedom. Freedom. Mm-hmm. freedom. That's what this is about. American nationalism undergirded by the Constitution is about freedom. One world government uh, philosophy undergirded by secular humanism is about tyranny and government control. So sometimes when I speak, I close my speeches with six semper tyrannis, thus ever the tyrants. That's the philosophy. That is, that is the line of demarcation that is going to be battled over in the next House of Representatives. And if I get a chance to go, I'm going to fight like hell. I mean, it's not just a matter of, I understand we've got to return to remain in Mexico. Yes, we do. But I'm going to hit them hard and hit them hard again and hit them where it hurts. And I have to do this for my kids and my grandkids. So what does that mean you say hit them hard? What does that mean? What does that look like? What does it look like? Uh, well, first of all, it means that I'm going to bring certain legislation to the floor of the House that hasn't been done. For example, we talked a moment ago about um, the fentanyl problem. 107,000 Americans in one year, exceeding 10 years of American losses in Vietnam by almost two. I will propose a federal death penalty for anybody bringing fentanyl into the United States. No other congressional candidate in the nation, and certainly not in this district, or in the nation, has proposed that. I can write legislation in my sleep. That's part of it. If you see Sound of Freedom... You see, when you look at the border crisis, as, as I've said before, it's not about the poor Mexican guy waiting across the Rio Grande who gets the job for 10 bucks an hour painting your fence. That, that guy should obey United States law. But we've got a threefold crisis at the border. We've got fentanyl, we've got child sex trafficking, and we have sleeper cells. Okay, mm-hmm. So I'm proposing, and I will write, proposed the death penalty for anybody engaged in child sex trafficking, bringing that stuff across the border. And I was on Beth Bo and Beth's show the other day, and Beth had a good question. Beth Troutman, she says, what about... What about the people here who are paying money for it? They will be subject to death penalty as well. So I'm giving you an example. Another example. We have to finish the wall. Every Republican, finish the wall, finish the wall. That's right. we got to finish it. But I'm going to propose a, a, a special um, unit of the United States military called United States Border Command, which will be in charge of enforcing invasions and preventing invasions, not only from the Rio Grande to San Diego, the northern Canadian border and on both coasts, because the border control, the border patrol is overrun. I wouldn't get rid of the border patrol, but it's a military problem. When you're bringing, if they brought in AK-47s, you remember Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. Eric Holder tries to run guns across. 
He wants to get he wants a bloodbath so they can argue against the Second Amendment. If they brought AK forty sevens over here and one hundred and seven thousand Americans were killed in one year, can you imagine the hue and the cry? They would go ballistic. This fentanyl is a chemical weapon. It's not a drug. It's a chemical weapon. So these these are an example of how I will put meat on that. Another thing, I will prosecute. I will I will I will propose rogue prosecutor laws to prosecute the likes of Jack Smith and this Fannie Willis that I heard you talking about. Yeah. We came in and Alvin Bragg because they are abusing our system. So these are some examples of how I'm going to take the offenses. I'm not going to go up there and do whatever the speaker says. Now, if the speaker has a good idea, I'm for it. But if the speaker says, oh, it's, it's, it's October, just pass this con- con- continuing resolution. I'll tell the speaker to stick it where the sun don't shine. I'm not supporting continuing resolutions. You know, we have we have all year to get our budget act together, and somebody's got to draw the line somewhere. So these are some examples of how I intend to take the fight to Washington and give them the opportunity to go. The uh, website, if you want more information, brown4nc.com. Don Brown, thanks for uh, hanging out. I appreciate it. Good to see you. Pete, you're the best. Thanks. Well, thank Love you, man. Nah, thanks for having me. They're way better. <laughs> they're way better. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply. At CarolinaReadiness.com, whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Um. So uh, real quick, I saw this. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to pay to read the whole article, though, because it's at a website that I, I don't care to support. It's called Puck. Make sure I emphasize the P there. The P. Right. So P-U-C-K. And um, there's a guy who writes there. He used to be with Politico, I believe. Dylan Byers. And here's what he wrote. This week, I surveyed members of the White House press corps, reporters, on-air correspondents, photographers, etc. And they all emphasized that the symptoms of Joe Biden's age had become more noticeable in recent months and a frequent discussion topic at the desks behind the Brady briefing room. Quote, anyone who covers this White House knows he's showing the signs of his age. He whispers, he shuffles, he misremembers. Anyone with an elderly parent knows what this is. That is one White House reporter. All of the, he just quotes anonymous people. Since the beginning of Biden's term, many White House journalists have reported on or alluded to concerns surrounding Biden's age in often gentle or euphemistic ways. Nevertheless, several of the journalists I spoke with said the true significance and importance of that issue as they observed it was not reflected in the coverage, often due to the sense that it was sensitive or unseemly or because there was no obvious evidence that it had affected his performance as president beyond optics. Or left unsaid, perhaps because they didn't want to ruin their relationship with the White House by being the lone wolf to speak up. Quote, it was something that felt indelicate 
indelicate to talk about, one reporter said. In retrospect, some journalists felt like it probably warranted more coverage. The amount of time we spent talking about it versus the time we spent reporting on it was not the same. Uh, There should have been tougher, more scrutinizing coverage of his age earlier. Yeah, the issue is not his age. It's the mental decline. 